Okay, you remember the last time, just one week ago actually, so it's not as far back to remember, I uh, began a series of sermons on seven important marks in time, and I talked about creation last Sunday, and uh, this Sunday I want to look at the second mark, important mark on our time as we know it, and that is the uh, idea of corruption or conflict that took place in the world after creation. I, I mentioned those seven points that I want to, and I'll just review them again. We looked at creation. Uh, interestingly enough, to help you remember, they all do begin with the letter C. There's creation, there's uh, corruption and or conflict. There's the uh, catastrophe of the flood. There's confusion at the Tower of Babel. And then there's Christ, and then there's the cross, and then there's the consummation that was song about just recently, uh, the last song that Ryan led was talking about uh, trusting the Lord to lead us home to those mansions in the sky. Turn in your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 1. I'd like to just remind you about creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 18, verse 21, verse 25, and also verse 31. 18, 21, and 25, after God created it, he said it was very, it was good. In verse 31, he says it was very good. Now, when God says it's good or very good, I, I, it doesn't get any better than that. That's as good as it can be. Uh, however, looking at our text this morning in Genesis chapter 3, this was not a fairy tale, and they lived happily ever after. God placed man in the garden, and he gave him the ability to have some choices. And uh, so I want to uh, turn the pages to chapter 3, and I want to read the text this morning, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I do want to remind you, before I read that text, uh, if we just refresh your memory, I'm sure it's there, five characteristics of man as God created him. First of all, he bore the image of God. As God created us, we bore his image. I think Len mentioned that in the Sunday school lesson that we are God, we are God's creation. God is the creator, we are the creation. We were created in his image. We have the ability to, uh, uh, God can understand us. So we bore his image. Secondly, man had intelligence. Uh, Adam was given a responsibility that required intelligence. He told him to subdue our uh, dress and keep the garden and to uh, uh, name the animals. And uh, so Adam was created with intelligence. Uh, thirdly, he had the ability to communicate openly with God. And, uh, you know, in a sense that goes, ties in with our Sunday school lesson. We have that same ability only and through the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. We can openly come before him boldly and pray and communicate with God. So he had the ability to communicate, thirdly. Fourth, he was trustworthy. He was given the tasks and assigned responsibility. So Adam was given tasks. He had, God had trust in him to take care of this creation. God entrusts us with that responsibility as many generations down the road from Adam and Eve. We are given uh, the responsibility. We are only uh, uh, stewards of this earth. We, we do not own it. We may have a deed. We may have a document in the courthouse saying that this is my parcel of land. But you know, that really doesn't hold a lot of order in the courts of heaven. It belongs to him. And uh, 
Fifthly, another similarity is the fact that we have eternal potential. We are eternal beings. God breathed there in, in chapter 2, verse 7. He breathed into man the breath of life. So we have those that uh, characteristic. We have a, a, within each one of us this morning is an eternal, never-dying soul. And, uh, you know, it's hard for us as creatures of time. We talked about time last Sunday. We talked about getting that extra second on June 30th. And it's hard for us as creatures who are so limited by time, bound by time, to, to uh, comprehend that eternal aspect of us this morning. Uh, but yet we are eternal beings. We don't see that. It's not in the forefront at this point. Once our bodies, we lay our bodies in the dust, that will become, by faith, we believe that becomes more predominant. And uh, so that eternal part of us. But you know, it's interesting, God did not breathe that eternal breath into the nostrils of animals. So children here this morning, regardless of what you may read about your pets, your dogs, your cats, when life is over for them, it's done. Uh, and, uh, but with us, it's not. It's a different story. And uh, it's important that we live life in that eternal perspective. And that's some of the reason we have Sundays. That's some of the reason we have times of fellowshipping around the Word of God, so that we know how to live and conduct ourselves. Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat. Yea. Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took her the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? There's a lot of questions. As I meditated on this portion of uh, Scripture, there's a lot of questions that we can raise. You know, how long did Adam and, Lee, Adam and Eve live in this blissful condition, in this blissful relationship? Uh, and we could spend a lot of time discussing that. How long was it? But you know, the Bible is really silent on it. It doesn't tell us how long they actually lived in that, that perfect condition. So the Bible doesn't tell us that. And beyond the uh, speculation, merely speculation, if we were to, to guess. And uh, I have my opinion on it. I would like to suggest that it probably wasn't very long. Knowing the nature of human uh, mankind, I, I don't know. Again, this is just speculation, but I have an idea. It may not have been very long. One writer, one commentator said he thinks it was on the tenth day. Uh, again, that's just speculation. We don't know. <laughs> but... Uh, but one thing we do know, and this is the important part we want to get right here this morning. One thing we do know is that there were no children, no descendants were born into that sinless perfection condition. So there's none of us sitting here this morning can say that we were born, uh, and we could trace our genealogy back into that sinless perfection condition. None of us. We can go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and we have the chronological order there where we have Adam and Eve uh, conceiving and bearing uh, Cain and Abel, 
and uh, their successive children. And furthermore, in the New Testament, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us that we are all guilty before God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The second thing is God in his foreknowledge, I want to remind you of that, God in his foreknowledge knew of this event. He knew in his omniscience, knew what man's choice would be and how the day would be ensnared by the subtlety of Satan and the serpent. And there's a verse in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 25. I want to just uh, read that where it tells us that Jesus, God, knew and had made a preparation. Matthew 25 verse 34 tells it like this. Um, talk about Jesus coming the glorious coming of the Son of Man here in this text here. I'm just breaking it at verse 34. And it says, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So it tells us there that God clearly knew in his omniscience what those choices would be. And he had a plan in place. And we can also go back to Genesis chapter 3. We see Jesus, or God, promising the redemption through Jesus Christ. Genesis 3.15, the earliest uh, recording of the promised Messiah. And it talks there about, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Talking about the redemptive forecoming of Jesus Christ. And there in that account in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, it tells us that God had a plan in place that the kingdom that was prepared for the righteous was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And that's interesting to know that God was already preparing a kingdom and a place for uh, the redemption of mankind and for the redeemed, those who are willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this is about corruption and, conf and or conflict. It's a conflict between the created being and their creator. And then we go on further and we see it's a conflict between even brothers and that conflict you know marred and and spread throughout the world and we we still deal with it today um, the first recorded conflict there in chapter 3 verse 8 we notice the separation between uh, Adam and Eve and God and uh, verse 8 and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and Eve, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There was a conflict there. There was not that openness that there was before. So there was a conflict. There was a, uh, a corruption in the relationship. And uh, we could go on to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, that conflict, that separation between God and man, evolved then into a family conflict. Genesis 4, and Adam and Eve... Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth. And his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wrapped? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt not be accepted. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass. They were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. 
And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken unto him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Very, very unfortunate story. Very dark picture. Uh, and I'm sorry that I have to read it to you, but that, that's what happens when man turns from God. When man separates himself from that vertical relationship, it, it develops into all kinds of terrible things. And that's exactly what we see taking place here in our story here today. Uh, that family conflict. I like Webster, as I was thinking about the word conflict, Webster defines it as a fight, a struggle, a clash, a controversy, a quarrel, opposition, disagreements. And uh, you, you think of conflicts, it's conflicts are something we need to, to uh, recognize. And it's something we need to deal with in, in relationships. Uh, conflicts have the potential to... Uh, to take us places that we do not want to go. It's interesting, God, uh, Cain uh, cried out to the Lord and uh, he realized, he said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And, uh, you know, was Cain, uh, was Cain repentant? Uh, I wouldn't interpret it as such. But yet he was remorseful to the fact that he, he cried out to the Lord that his punishment was greater than he could bear. And God showed mercy to him and he said, uh, uh, I think uh, Cain knew the risk of him perhaps going out and uh, finding those of his brother vindicating uh, themselves in behalf of Abel. And uh, so he had a fear of, of what would take place in his experience if he allowed, if he went out into the world. And uh, so God, in his mercy, marked Cain with a, a mark. It says, the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And uh, we, again, we may speculate what that mark could have been. Uh, it is interesting to notice in the scripture that the Hebrew word is O-W-T-H, O-W-T-H. And it's used, I think, 79 different times. And it's also translated actually more frequently a sign rather than a mark. But here in, in, in Genesis, it is Genesis, in Genesis' account, it is recorded a mark. And uh, I do not know what that mark was. There's a lot of speculation what that mark could have been. But I think rather than speculating and, and trying to think what that mark was, I think we need, there's a principle here that God wanted to... Uh, to drive home to mankind. That, and that principle is that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And uh, we need to realize that this morning, that we are not to avenge ourselves. We are rather to allow God to do that. Uh, and that's a principle I think God was establishing here, even in the beginning of time, in the Old Testament, 
that that vengeance is actually God's to do. Going back and looking a little more closely at our text here in Genesis chapter 3, the account here in Genesis chapter 3 again, well, we see it's a conflict between good and evil. Um, we see the forces of evil coming and uh, in the form of the serpent tempting uh, Eve. And uh, there was a New Testament account, as I think of the conflict between the forces of good and evil. And that conflict continues on yet today, the conflict between the forces of good and evil. Uh, there's, a Luke, there's a verse in Luke chapter 10, or several verses rather, in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 10, uh, 17 through 20. I'm in John. Let me go back here to Luke. Luke chapter 10. This is where Jesus sent the 70 out in his earthly ministry. In Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy. Jesus had sent them out to uh, minister and to uh, teach and to heal. And then these 70 came back to Jesus in verse 17. That's where I'm breaking in. The 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And I like what Jesus tells those 70 as they went out. Uh, again, we could perhaps, uh, uh, as we think of the conflict between good and evil, you know, that was the initial conflict there in the Garden of Eden, that initial conflict between good and evil, where the serpent came and beguiled Eve and deceived her. That was that initial conflict. And that continued on up through. Alice mentioned the judges in Sunday school class. That was still a conflict between good and evil. Remembering and following the Lord and then forgetting. And then we have the time of Christ. And yet today that conflict still continues. But what is Satan's kingdom? Satan's kingdom today is in the hearts and men's of the hearts and, and minds of men who follow his program and yield to his temptation. That's Satan's kingdom. Just as it's as, as we yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, our lives become His kingdom. Again, it has to be a, uh, a yieldedness. We choose which force to uh, subject ourselves to, either that of following Satan or that of following Christ. I thought it was interesting to notice, too, Jesus said, you know, we, we, look in, we can look at the account that took place there in in, in the 70 going forth and the par they exhibited. You know, and we, we perhaps uh, we, we get sidetracked by that uh, display of par. It says how they, uh, they, they tread on serpents and scorpions and it par over the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But you know, Jesus said really the most important thing you need to remember and that I need to focus on and that you need to focus on is that our names are written in... Uh, in heaven, our names are written in the book of life. If my name this morning and your name this morning is written in the book of life, written in heaven, that places us as part of God's kingdom. And that's the important thing. That's what we need to focus on this morning. Uh, that conflict, that corruption that took place in the Garden of Eden, we have that same choice today that Eve had. We can choose whether to yield to the Satan. We can choose whether to yield to the following the, the ways of Christ. 
Well, the serpent, uh, you know, I don't know how long or what Eve's previous contact was with the serpent. Uh, it does tell us the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Uh, so this uh, serpent was a created animal, and Satan seemingly would have possessed this serpent. And I guess one of the questions I'm asking is uh, this morning as I thought about that and meditated on it, you know, here was a serpent that, as Eve was in the garden there, you know, and this serpent begins talking to her. Now, wouldn't that be enough to alarm you? Uh, maybe a serpent in itself, uh, you know, is alarming. I don't care for snakes. I don't like them. I'm not petrified of them. But, uh, you know, it, then a lot of it starts talking to you. Wouldn't that have been enough to make you back up a couple more steps? I don't know. Um... I was just as I was thinking about that, but uh, the other question I had to ask was, you know, Eve's position. It says uh, it says she was in the garden, and uh, she evidently must have been within arm's reach of that tree of life, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and. Uh, God had clearly told them that they were not to touch that. Not to eat of it, nor to touch it. And uh, here was Eve within arm's reach of that, uh, of that tree. And so she was in a, a very uh, audacious position, I guess you could say. I'd like to, uh, I think we mentioned this in the Sunday school lesson, I'd like to just go back to 1 John. As we think of Satan making his appeal to to Eve in the garden, there are some things that you and I can learn as we think of this conflict, this corruption that has taken place. First John chapter 2 uh, tells us this way. First John chapter 2, verse 16. Back up to verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those three avenues are the three areas that Satan oftentimes, and still today, yet will approach us. It's the lust of the, uh, the, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And uh, I think we see even when Satan came and tempted Christ, he used those three channels in, and we could turn to the account there in Matthew and look at that. We'll not do that, but uh, Satan still uses those temptations. All temptations, I believe, could fit in one of those three categories that you and I encounter in life today. All of the temptations, if we want to categorize them, could fit into one of those three categories. Well, where was Adam in, in this, in this uh, equation as we see Eve, the serpent, uh, talking to her and uh, she conversing with him and seemingly have some, having some pretty good answers, but yet I think she was very vulnerable and uh, Satan realized that. And uh, I had to ask, uh, where was Adam at? Well, 
If you look at verse 6, and when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So Adam was seemingly within very close vicinity. I don't know if he was there and heard the conversation or not. I can't, I can't document that. But I do know, if you go back to First Timothy, uh, yes, First Timothy chapter four, uh, there's a New Testament uh, account there that tells us what Adam's role was in this. First Timothy chapter four, verses eight through fifteen. And I think I have a wrong reference there. It's 1 Timothy chapter 2. And begin reading at verse 8. I don't have a pen to change it. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves a modest of pearl with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold and pearls or costly arrayal, but which becometh women, women professing godliness with good works. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, not to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, look at verse 13. For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. Verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, was, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, that's an interesting verse. Uh, Satan's tactic here, I believe, was to get Eve to doubt God, to deny the truth, and then the result was death spiritually. Um, in looking at this reference here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, it would appear, this is my... my uh, interpretation of it. It would appear, I believe, according to what Timothy writes here, that Adam was actually more accountable. Eve was deceived. She was guilty, without a doubt. But Adam, it says, was not deceived. Now, I will agree with you, men, this morning. Adam was in a tough spot, okay? Adam was in a tough spot. Uh, he was in a very, very delicate position. Here is Eve, handing him this fruit. And after 40 years, when your wife, after almost 40 years of marriage, I know you don't say, what is it, honey? You just take it and eat it. Okay? Or you don't refuse it. Or no thanks, sorry. I'm just trying to place myself, now Adam probably didn't have shoes on, but I'm just trying to place myself in Adam's shoes this morning. Uh, put yourself in Adam's shoes. What would have you done? What would have been your response You know, it says Adam was not deceived. Had Adam refused that fruit, I believe there was perhaps, there, there would have been a separation there. Well, I'd like to continue. You think about that for a while. What would have you had done? Uh, and I don't know what all the thoughts were going through Adam's mind, but you know, I think, I have an idea he saw that fruit, and he knew where it came from. I think he knew that he probably looked at it himself and maybe even thought about taking it, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out someday. Uh, but I know humanity is humanity. And, uh, you know, I, I believe as Eve handed him that, he knew where that fruit had come from, and he ate it, and he took it. He was guilty. He was not deceived. You know, he sinned willfully, and that's serious. 
when we sin willfully. But you know, there's repentance. There is forgiveness for Adam and Eve both this morning. And there's forgiveness for us. I'd like you to look this morning. This sermon is about corruption, conflict. I want to just look, go down over a number of things of what fallen man looks like. And it's not a pretty picture. We know what it looks like. But I think we need to be reminded what it looks like and how dark it is. First of all, fallen man is dead. He's dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us the wages of sin are death. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, verse 1 tells us that we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead spiritually. There's no spiritual life in us whatsoever. That's what fallen man looks like. He's dead. He's, there's, it's, it's vain. It's empty. The second thing is, he's a child of the devil. And I, I got that verse in John 8, verse 44. And I'll not turn to that. But there Jesus was reminding the Pharisees. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Okay? Remember I told you, I said, we choose today who we decide to follow, whether it's the ways of Christ, whether it's the ways of Satan, self and carnality. We can choose this morning whether I want to follow the commandments that are here, written in the book, in the Word of God, or I can choose to follow my own way, or I can choose to follow somebody else's way. Unless I'm following the, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are a child of the devil. Thirdly, a fallen man is a rebel. Romans chapter 8, verse 7 and 8 says, The carnal mind is enmity with Christ. We're, we've got a different purpose. We've got a different goal. We're rebels. We're not following the Lord's plan. We're not following God's plan for humanity. Uh, the NIV, I think, uh, uh, the carnal mind is enmity with Christ. And the NIV says, for the enmity, it uses the word hostile. We are hostile. We're not just, our friendship didn't just simply fall apart and we don't communicate anymore. It says we're hostile with God. Uh, we're enemies. We're separate. We're in a whole different camp. Well, it, it, it's not only on the outside, but it's also on the inside. It tells, fourthly, fallen man has within him an evil heart. And that's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. We were almost there this morning. Uh, it tells us about, I think uh, it was mentioned in the Sunday school class, as far as having uh, belief and trust and uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 tells us about that evil heart of unbelief. We need to express and exhibit faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, in His Word, in His revelation about creation. We talked about creation last Sunday. Do we exhibit faith in that? Well, fallen man is depraved. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. I'm right close there. I'm just going to page to it. Titus 1, verse 15. Unto the pure all things are pure. Unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. So there's not an element of, of uh, purity in fallen man. And I think it's Math, uh, not Matthew Henry, I think it's uh, Daniel Coffin, Doctrines of the Bible, says that in our culture today, uh, morality is thought to be Christianity. And it's, it's wrong. It's not. Uh, it's good, it, it may have some good points, but it's, it's depraved. It, 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 the heart needs to be changed in mankind today. Fallen man has a depraved uh, nature. Sixth, fallen man is in chains of bondage. 
And that's in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm right there again. I'm going to just flip back. 2 Timothy 2, 2. I'm sorry, 2.26. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Uh, talks about being in chains of bondage to, uh, to Satan. And flipping ahead to the book of Hebrews again, that book of better things that we've been studying in the Sunday school class, uh, Hebrews 2 verse 15 tells us, And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Uh, so this is a difference of life and death. Choosing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ or yielding ourselves as servants to Satan and experiencing death. And it, it describes it so well in Hebrews chapter 2. Deliver them who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to that bondage. We don't have to fear death anymore. We can find deliverance through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, depraved man seventh is hopeless. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 2 and I'll just flip back to that. Ephesians 2, verse 2, tells us that uh, I'll read verse 1, 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, referring back to the previous thought. And then verse 2, where in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We are hopeless without Christ this morning. Uh, and in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation, or our lives were in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, and this is the note I want to end on. I don't want to end on a negative note this morning here, but verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, in summary, what do I want you to take home this morning with you? Well, this is what I like to. This is what impressed me as I thought about this second mark on time, and that is, I need to realize that life is is too big for me. I can't handle it alone. Life is is too big for me. I've been given this life to live, but I need help to live it. Uh, what are some points that will help us to get through life uh, successfully? Well, I like to suggest this morning it's. It, and as I thought about Eve's choices there in the garden, and as I think about me as I face temptations, or as you face temptations, not in the garden in the world today, but I think we need to read God's Word. Uh, how much different could have it been for Eve if she could have... Uh, now, they didn't have the written Word, but you know, she could have thought about the Word, and she did. She used God's Word in conversing with Satan, but yet... Uh, that's a dangerous position to be in. Well, read God's Word. It's a safe place to be in. Secondly, uh, we need to pray. And we, we, noticed that, we noted that in some of the verses that we read. We need to pray. Uh, thirdly, I believe we need to ask others. Again, life is too big for myself. And then fourthly, I believe we need to wait. Uh, as we read God's Word, as we pray, as we ask counsel of others, then I think there's a time that we need to wait. 
and uh, allow God to reveal his will to us. And there are many questions in life that we may face. Uh, it's, you know, we, we, we think we, we, have a, uh, we may have a notch up on Eve. <laughs> you know, we, we, look at, we, we read that account there in, in Genesis, and uh, we know what happened. We know what the outcome was. But, you know, that, that event is played over and over again every day of the world today. That choice that you and I have to make. And uh, we, need to, we need to prepare ourselves. We, need, we do not want to fall into that same trap as Satan did. Then lastly, uh, I was impressed, and I had this written down actually before Ryan led that song uh, for his daughter. Trust God and obey what you already know to do. That's, that's part of the equation. God wants us to trust Him and uh, live lives of obedience in what we already know to do. There are some things we may have questions about, but there are, and there may be some things we maybe don't have answers for, but we need to let them rest with the Lord. And uh, so, as, you, as I th- in summary, as I thought about that, life is too big for me. How am I going to get through it? Well, I need to get through it by reading God's Word, by praying, asking others, simply waiting, patience, and then trusting God and obeying in the commandments that I already know that God wants me to, how He wants me to live. So I hope this. Uh, this look at this second mark on the timeline of history is an encouragement to us. Even though it's a dark picture, it's a sad story, but yet there's, there are positive things that can come from it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for instruction in, in righteousness so that we can prepare ourselves to live above the temptations that Satan may send our way.